Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. Hey, you! Welcome to the men's room. We have a great show today. There's a guitar in the studio, and that's always a good sign. And Alan Sharawi is here with his guitar. He's a fellow Canadian and the frontman of alternative rock band Lazy Lung. Hi, Alan. How are you? Hi, Nadia. I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> so why is the band called Lazy Lung? Oh, yes. And why the two Zs? All right. So, I mean, there's the media-ready uh, version of the story, and then there's the actual story. So I guess I'll, I should probably give you the actual story. Definitely. When I first started making music, it was mostly instrumental. And I didn't really like the idea of singing, and it was, you know, it's hard work. So uh, I was strictly making instrumental music, and so I was like, lazy lung. And then the double Z thing, well, I don't know, I was like, uh, I was trying to make logos and, and do some design work, and the, and the one Z just seemed kind of lame. And so I added the other extra Z. And believe it or not, it has been a, uh, a talking point and something that leaves people... It's like a memorable thing, right? And it's like yeah. this, this little thing where you're I, like, I can oh, see that. an extra Z. <laughs> wow. Definitely. Two Zs are better than one. So um, why do you say it's hard work to sing? Well, because you got to like write lyrics and they got to be interesting and coherent. And, um, you know, playing guitar alone as it is, is, is pretty tough. And then throw on top of that, you know, singing in key or in like on beat. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty tough. But I guess you've gotten pretty good at it uh, over the years. What year did you start the band? I first got into music uh, when I was like 11. But in terms of... Like three years ago? Long, yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, three years ago. Mm -hmm. I actually started out on drums. And I was in a punk band for about seven years. And I was just sticking to my own, playing on, you know, playing the beat. And there was like a another front man, so to speak. Or it was another friend's band that I was just playing drums for, you see. So um, I was kind of shy to share my own ideas and or compositions or whatever. And <laughs> when I finally actually um, shared some, the band uh, broke up. Oh, no. Yeah. For unrelated reasons, I guess. It was, uh, we entered in some competition and they were very, very punk rock. They didn't like the idea of, of you know, winning competitions or, you know, being in part, any part of any music industry-esque type of thing. And um, I didn't let that deter me. I continue to like study uh, audio engineering and learn more about how to be an independent artist. And uh, so, yeah, I started picking up the guitar. So are you self-taught? Yeah. Okay. And what age were you when you the started playing the guitar? I guess the internet also played yeah, a role. Yeah, I mean, p kids are learning everything on the internet now. It's yeah. incredible. You can really teach yourself pretty much any instrument or any skill. Actually, yeah, and especially now with a lot of the apps that are out there, they make it a lot easier. For me, it was like, oh my God, we had really bad internet living out in the countryside and I would try and get tabs to, you know, which are basically numbers instead of notes. And um, 
I just like figured it out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Amazing. And then you moved to uh, the Middle East, to Lebanon in 2006. Oh, yeah. We're like fast forwarding quite a yeah, bit. You, you were 11 and then suddenly, <laughs> yeah, before suddenly, you knew it, you were, I don't know, in your 20s? Yeah. I first came to Lebanon in around 2006. Before that, I was in Kuwait. Um, I was doing some engineering and consulting work. I was like doing a co-op. And uh, I was later on like uh, stationed in, in Beirut. And I had a couple of song ideas. And it was actually the, like the, the, the band came into fruition really uh, in the wake of the Israeli war in 2006. I was relocated to Jordan and I basically had my suitcase, my guitar and my computer. And I was relocated to Jordan. And, uh, I mean, that was my first real um, encounter or, like, ever experiencing anything like that. It was... Like what? Well... Like the war? Like, yeah. Like yeah. A, a frigging <laughs> uh, an aerial attack and explosions. And it was, it was yeah. quite frightening. Yeah. I was here, actually. So yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And as frightening as it was... Compared to life in Jordan around 2006, I was I was like, take me back to Beirut. No offense to any Jordanians listening, but I mean, come on, you guys have gotten way better. But back in the day, not a whole lot going on. So I was basically just going f from uh, home to work and then back home and I would write these songs. And a lot of them had to do somewhat with feeling like a um, lost in translation kind of uh Lost outcast oh, okay yeah yeah the, the album was called strange places right exactly yeah that makes sense now oh yeah oh there's a whole thing <laughs> that i had to this uh, music thing i guess you could say that even though i had been living in the middle east now uh, or at the time for you know two or three years so 2006 fast forward four years to the release of strange places I always kind of felt like an outsider and, you know, um, a foreigner. I'm making English rock music in a place that is dominated by either, you know, Tarab music or uh, Arabic pop music, Debke music. And, and here it is, we're making rock and roll in English. But, you know, obviously uh, at the time, it was really well received and we um, we won a bunch of awards. You did? Yeah. Who gave you awards? Well, my mom, <laughs> mostly. She was like, good job. Buddy. Amazing. Yeah, that's what counts. That's the best award ever. Right? Yeah. Shout out to all the moms listening. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. love you. Yeah, but so who, who seriously, where, I mean... Is there an indie rock music, English music scene in the Middle East? I mean, is it sizable oh. and are there, are there like awards for I, it? I mean, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's a, like, we're talking about a huge question right there. Um, we could spend the whole podcast talking about the music scene and where things have gone. And especially like from mm, 2005, 2006 onwards to, to the current, you know, present day. But uh, certainly, there are a few, I guess, key places where bands and musicians and aspiring artists cut their teeth. Mm -hmm. Where and, would those places be? Right. So, for example, uh, every year, 
AUB has something called Outdoors. Mm-hmm. And it's this big coffee house slash, you know, outdoor festival, so to speak, mostly for AUB students. But over the years, uh, a lot of bands have come and, and, and really made a name for themselves. Even Mashrulela, for example, um, you know, built their fan base and had some of their earlier shows at AUB. Of course, they were AUB students, but... Um, a lot of names, you know, that you hear about today started out Interesting. playing there. Mm-hmm. You also have, for example, uh, the Fête de la Musique uh, on the 21st of June on the summer solstice. Where's that? It's all over downtown. So it could be oh. in Martyr Square at the Roman Baths. Uh, it's grown and grown year after year. Shout out to Michel Paulikovich. And the people from the French Institute who uh, are the Institut Français, uh, who are very good at making uh, the uh, French uh, Institute program. I love for... your Quebecois accent. Ah, That's awesome. Can I, man? Bah, oui. Oh, oui, oui. Pas pire, ça. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So uh, God bless uh, the initiative that they do every year, which essentially is this big open invitation to anyone and everyone to play these huge stages with great gear. And that's how we also kind of uh, gained our, um, let's say, I don't know. Millions of fans? Yeah, all the millions of fans. Lebanese random public. Yeah, no, I actually heard you have quite a following. So I, I, of course, I say that in jest. I don't know if it's in the millions. It's tough to get to that number. But I I know you have quite a few fans that have been following you over the years. Is it uh, the scene, the rock scene? Is it uh, only in Lebanon? Is Is there anything going on in the rest of the region? Are you accepted as a genre? First of all, I wouldn't, you know... I wouldn't categorize it as rock because that's too pigeonholed. That's too mm-hmm. narrow. But independent music in the Arab world is massive. And really, oh sure. Um, if you don't have your ear to the ground, or if you're, I mean, if you know, you know. Yeah. And if you don't know, like, I'm sorry, bro, but you missed the yeah. bus. But uh, Jordan is exploding and has been for for quite some time in terms of hip hop. Artists like Synaptic, uh, you have uh, rock bands like Jadal, you have rock bands like, uh, and I'm butchering their names probably, like Echir Zafir. That's pretty good. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Rabba in Egypt, you know, there are a bunch of, of bands that are out there as well. Sharmoufers, shout out, Karaoke, Shadi Ahmed. They're like, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely missing out. There's most recently, there's a dude, Dirty Backseat. This guy Mohani, he's pretty cool. He's come up with some pretty cool stuff. A lot of hip hop, right? Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, the one hip hop guy that I mentioned mm. uh, from Jordan is uh, Synaptic, and he's killing it out there. But in in terms of like local hip hop here in 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 the middle and in, in Lebanon, I mean artists like Chino, Faril Atrash. I mean, now we're just like naming, naming names. Naming names, you know yeah. I mean? Well, I never heard of most of those. So really? you're saying it's growing and it, they're killing it. Mm-hmm. But obviously they're indie still and they kind of not haven't uh, made their way into the, the mainstream in certain ways. Well, interesting enough, they're, yeah. Um, 
It's tough. There certainly aren't as many platforms, so exactly. to speak. Exactly. I mean, right? if you turn on the radio, you know, in the in the states or in Canada, you have stations that kind of give some space for indie music to a certain degree. Mostly college radio. Yeah. And sure. university radio, like in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, uh, back home in Ottawa, you know, you had CKCU, you had Chuo. These were some of the more prominent radio stations. But I mean, like FM radio. Yeah, of it course, was also the commercial. Still, yeah, yeah, the commercial radio stations. It was also very hard to to get on to those yeah. stations. Yeah. But um, but you don't have those uh, university radio stations. You don't have that phenomenon in the Middle East, do you? You don't, but there's certainly a group of people that have radio shows like, for example, Ruptured. If you've ever heard of Ruptured, it's on uh, Radio Liban 96.2. And he would feature some of the uh, local acts in the region and abroad. Uh, cool. Shout out to yeah Ziad Naufel mm-hmm. and the Toon Fork family that have been doing an excellent job of kind of giving artists a platform. Okay. So you talked about your first album, Strange Places. You're a Canadian, lands in the Middle East, war breaks out, you end up in Jordan. So you record this album that's kind of about your feel, your initial strong feelings of feeling like an outsider. Um, yeah. And I guess that was a kind of a successful album. You Well, Rolling Stone magazine were at that time... Uh, just opening up. They were doing a uh, Rolling Stone Middle East. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, it's, it they stopped, stopped they right? Stopped, yeah. yeah. They were for a couple of years. Right, they right. They had a good run mm-hmm. and we were their sweethearts. Amazing, yeah. within the first year of them opening, they had a battle of the bands. We were flown over to Dubai. We competed and we won that shit. Amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. And so that was our first victory that kind of solidified or crystallized us as serious players. And people started kind of paying attention to us, mm-hmm. so to speak. And more and more opportunities came through, you know, um, shortly thereafter. Dubai was like a huge element to our success. A lot of things were happening like www.me was this brilliant platform. We were really lucky. And yet again, we came uh, out victorious. And we had the amazing opportunity through uh, www to fly out to Los Angeles and record at the world famous Capitol Records. Wow. Where Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, the Foo Fighters, Coldplay, like you name it. Anybody who's anybody at one point in time yeah, recorded Capitol at Capitol Records. Definitely. Yeah. So what did you record there? That was the dawn of our second record, Sailor's Delight. So uh, Did you sail over to LA? We we flew over <laughs> like sixteen hours. <laughs> On a budget? <laughs> no, no, man. Ray Ban, shout out to the folks at Ray Ban and Triple W. They had a set up. They did a whole documentary. You can check it out online uh, and you can see the whole story from start to finish. It was really fucking frightening because you don't realize it. Like, yeah, it's all fun and games. Like, yeah, man, we won this thing and da-da-da-da-da, we're being flown over. And it's like camera obscura. Are you familiar with this term, camera obscura? Which is basically when, like, we have our normal behavior like you and I, but as soon as there's a camera on you, all of the sudden, oh, yeah, right? There's like this change in mannerism. Yeah, there's like what this, do you mean? 
mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, some people, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they really have a hard time dealing yeah, with it. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know that's what it was called, though. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I finally have a diagnosis. Hey, man. Okay, thanks. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, performance anxiety. Like, I mean, essentially, we have to, uh, within a certain amount of time, in a fixed time frame, go, fly, record, release. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And, yeah, so it's like, do a good job in this crazy, fancy studio. Was it a song that you'd written before? Oh, yeah. Like, you were ready, you had practice, you were, like, Yeah, we practiced, but two things really fuck shit up for us, like... Sorry, guys. Our bassist wasn't issued a visa. Yeah, that can be a problem. Right. So I actually <laughs> scared the shit out of the people who were putting this whole thing together because I said, listen, man, you know, we didn't we didn't get a visa for our bassist. I met and it's a no go. Like, it's just not going to work out. Cancel the whole thing or postpone it until it does work out. Mm-hmm. And they were like, listen, I don't think you realize what it is that you're saying. So let us come back with a solution so that we can go forward with this. You know, and of course, Imad didn't really want us to um, lose out on this opportunity either. So he was willing, and and God bless him for that, to relinquish that emotional attachment to, you know, for the betterment of the band. And let you hire another bassist while you were there? Yeah, they came up with a nice cushy deal of basically saying, look, we're going to get a really famous person from a really famous band. Who was it? Uh, Martin Lenoble. He played in like um, Porno for Pyros and uh, Velvet Revolver, I believe. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, as Christina a... Applegate's husband. Do you know uh-huh. Christina Applegate? Remember that movie yes. Married with, or not TV show? show of course. Married with yeah, Children? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So her, the Kelly, was it? Yeah. Kelly? Kelly. Kelly's husband. That's him, uh, the no- Lenoble. Martin Lenoble. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So did you meet Kelly? Was she there? I, I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> there was You're a, joking. There was a non-disclosure. Ten years later, I think you can disclose I'm, it. No, nah, man. I think you can disclose everything. Just, these, wow. are the, these are the, the, Deep, dark the tricks secrets. and the trades of Hollywood. I think you're just, I think you're, okay. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. I think you're, you're a good secret keeper. Oh, I'm the worst secret keeper? <laughs> you have no idea. Okay. Well, I'm very confused now. So, it didn't go well. <laughs> Is what you're trying to tell well, me. Well, no, it went as well as it could have. The other thing was, yeah, so performance anxiety, our drummer had never, like, been in a studio environment before in his life. Great drummer, really cool guy. But, I mean, it's a lot of pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So we weren't in our most comfortable state. Sure. And so, you know, it definitely translated on tape, and it definitely translated um, on camera, you know. We made the best of it. It was cool. It was a, you know, an experience and a half. And uh, we walked away like in a bittersweet kind of thing because we really wanted And you knew that you, you didn't perform as well as you should have. And this was kind of a one in a lifetime, a once in a lifetime opportunity where if you had, you know, impressed everyone, who knows what would have happened to the band, right? Is that kind of your thinking at well, the time? It is at the end of the day, just an advertisement for Ray-Ban to have some kind of rock band be like, yeah, you know, brand association. But I you're mean, meeting the right people. You're in the right place. Oh, you have certainly. A, you know, it's a great opportunity. Uh, and from that sprouted yet another cool part of our history, which was um, meeting Bill Cody on that trip to, to Los Angeles, who is a film director who had tight connections with rock band The Black Lips. So 
we met with Bill Cody and he was like, hey guys, uh, we were planning on doing a Middle East, a Middle East tour and documentary. Would you guys like to, you know, jump on the bill? And we were going to do like a double bill Middle East tour. And so, yeah, we were so stoked and, and we solidified that arrangement. And, you know, one thing that, you know, you, you notice there's an ingredient for independent rock music or whatever here in the Middle East. Anywhere else in the world, it's, it's very kind of like work hard, earn the money that you can from putting a lot of effort into shows and you earn that and then you know you well i mean there are more cities to play in canada and da 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 da, da. but in the middle east the hustle is find a sponsor okay find a sponsor yeah. whether it's an a liquor company an energy drink a soda company a friggin you name it and 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 it's so funny because it's like that is what legitimizes your band here in some mm -hmm. some capacity yeah. for some artists yeah you know they're like hey we're sponsored by this and so wait you did you come. get a sponsor we got a sponsor for the tour we had multiple sponsors yeah of course we had multiple i mean you know it's a huge undertaking we had like 10 or 11 or 12 people i'm pretty sure it was 12 uh, that we had to, you know, put in hotels and buses and, and you know, it, yeah. it, it's a, it's a it's huge expensive. undertaking yeah. as it is to just tour in, from city to city. It's a whole nother thing to tour country to country. I mean, we did Cyprus, Egypt, Alexandria, Jordan, Dubai, Lebanon, and the Black Lips were so gung-ho, but they had Vice with them. So they took, <laughs> Vice flew them out, I guess, or they flew themselves out, I can't remember, uh, to Iraq. And they had a performance in Erbil. Wow. Yeah. That's and this bold. was this was all in the wake of the Arab Spring. So it was all very like against all odds. Rock band from the Middle East with American rock band tour war torn politically unstable wasteland that is, you know, which I is, like it. Right? I don't. Really? Oh no. Why? Because it's such a bullshit narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of like you don't care because at the end of the day, this is all political stuff that's happening. Right. And life goes on. Yeah, I mean, we were just trying to have a good time and it was it was cool. They had a a, um, a new perspective. It was their first time ever performing in this part of the world. And uh, I, I, I doubt that they regret anything. Yeah. You know, it was really fun. Of course, there were bumps on the road and, and you know... If anyone listening to this knows anything about, oh man, just putting on a production period and then add on top of that the adversities that come with performing in the Middle East, like the lack of, oh, I don't know, backline or... What's or backline? Backline's like um, amplifiers and drums, equipment. Okay. Okay. So what are some of the other challenges of performing in the Middle East as a an indie English... Well, the challenges are people staying resilient. The challenges are that even when the going gets tough, you got to stay strong and stay together. Because a lot of people are in this for the applause. A lot of people are in this for the, um, you know, the fame and glory and the virtue of, of whatever, you yeah. know. And so once that kind of 
fades away or becomes difficult, they give up. And I guess I'm stubborn in that way. <laughs> and I haven't. So you did Strange Places. Then you did a second album called Sailor's Delight. <laughs> Segway! Segway. Segway! Well, because you're talking about, basically, you're the main, you write all the songs for that's right. the band. You always, that's why you're that's always, right. you're the constant who keeps, and God then people are revolving around you. And initially you had close friends that were with you. They fuck kind of, them, guys. Yeah, fuck them. Then, uh, then you had other people. Who do you have now? You have good people with you now? I've got some young ones. Oh, that's good. They don't know any better and they're still right. like yes, hopeful. That's the trick. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you got to find some like... Unjaded. Some, yeah. Unjaded, just totally fresh, green, you know, and you corrupt them later. Okay. So that's good. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just joking, everybody. Come on. Yeah, relax. of course not. Okay. Do right. you think that a lot of your fans who speak Arabic in their day to day don't really understand much of your lyrics they're just like yeah this is cool music and they're just like you know sure going along because with it. energy is um you know if you see something that looks entertaining right you're gonna you're gonna get down i'll give you a perfect example you know the gypsy kings you speak yeah. spanish a little bit a little bit yeah right do you know the lyrics to bambaleo By the way, the Gypsy Kings are French. You know that, of course. What? They don't They're speak Spanish. Gypsies? No, and they don't speak. They don't even speak Spanish. They just sing in Spanish. But oh. anyways, yeah, interesting okay. that you're using them as an example. I'm so. using. The what Gypsy the hell Kings. does Bamboleo mean, anyways? Right. It's it's fun, is what it means yeah? to me. Does it? Yeah. yeah. Do you tell me that you hear Bamboleo and you're not fucking losing your mind immediately? Yeah. Bamboleo. Yeah. Right. So what I'm trying to say is, is that I don't speak Spanish. You don't speak Spanish. We hear Bamboleo. We go crazy. Pour out the shots. Let's get this going. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the a, weirdest choice of song Bumbleo? to describe that story. Yeah. -uh. Nobody plays that song. What? Who plays that song L anymore? They literally go anywhere on the planet and that song's coming on. Really? It's a hundred percent. I'm I'm just gonna say there's some more like more um timely examples that you could have used that like, you know, uh, there's one a couple years ago, like Enrique Iglesias. You lost me. Yeah. He's a he's a, also a Spanish singer. Yeah. Maybe you know his dad. Who? <laughs> Julio. Julio. Yeah. Julio Iglesias. And uh, their bastard son, Julio Iglesias. Yeah, that's, right? the, that's the third. Gangsters, that's the other guy. Gangster's yeah. Paradise. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I watched um, your latest video earlier today ah, yes. called... Um, Wait, let me remember what it's called. Sh uh, Swim. Shadows. Oh, Chasing Shadows. Chasing Shadows. Swim um, the is that, Shadows. Is that the last one you did? Well, you know, the fun thing about um, being an independent band and the fun thing about buying... <laughs> New equipment? No, no, no. It's like you have to... Do the pre-release, right? So, like, you 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 set us you you set a deadline for yourself. So, I set a deadline for 2018 because I mean, like, essentially, we stopped Lazy Lung as of 2013. Oh, so there's a big gap between five the second and years. third. Yes, yeah. technically more than that, but five years. So, what do I do? I'm like, I'm gonna register the third album, and I'll be done it. I'll be done with it in five it. years. Yeah. You know, I'll be done it uh, <laughs> in five years. And I totally wasn't. And that bus was just like, sorry, we're taking off. And it released everything. So um, it's a it's an internal fuck up. 
But yeah, um, it's marked as it was done on the eight, 2018, but it actually didn't come out till 2019. That's a little inside uh, Hakawati secret. Okay? Oh, yeah. You heard it first here with Men's Room, Men's Talk, Talking, Talking. <laughs> You, you totally that. butchered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should stick to your own material. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyhow, so to to wrap this all together, because, I mean, here it is, you're, you, you, the listener, and you, Nadia, you're hearing all this, like, organized or disorganized chaos. And that's precisely what I'm talking about in our third record. And the first song, Chasing Shadows. So I realized that as an artist... I've been chasing my past and living with and trying to, as you say, you know, um, your past casts or your father casts a big shadow and you're trying to like, you know, outlive or, 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 or whatever. So I kind of felt like that for a while and I'm coming to terms with learning to let go. And that is a very central theme to swim the tide, which is to basically go with the flow, let the current take you and stop trying to fight the currents because that, you know, you, there are certain things that you cannot control as an, as a Virgo, as a, as a, uh, not as a band leader, I'm supposed to be the one who is in control. Right. And so it's very difficult for me when things go out of whack, but me kind of becoming at peace with that. Also, a more of a heavy kind of a, again downer of a subject my mom was diagnosed with cancer and that, that was a couple of years or 2016 yeah. yeah and it was like being hit with a ton of bricks it was like the idea of you know losing your mom you always hear about other people who, who's like family, you know, you're all like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. You got yeah. cancer. Oh, it's so sad. And you're like, it never happened to me. Well, you don't really say that, but it's I mean, hard I to do. imagine. You do? Oh, oh 100%. I'm like, that's not them. very nice. I mean, I'm just being honest. <laughs> okay. You know, it's just like, eh. And that's kind of the, the, the you know, I, I'm sure there are other people who are like, yeah, man, it's really too bad. I mean, yeah, Life unless choices. it happens to you, you don't really right. know what it means. And it's kind of right. uh, superficial exactly. thoughts. So that was a an eye-opening, um, life-changing kind of experience, of course. Uh, and you know, Are you guys really close? Are you close with your mom? mom? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom's everything. She lives in Canada still, in yeah. Ottawa? Yeah. How often do you guys talk? Just about, well, I mean, just about every day. But sometimes with work and being out of sure, out of reach. It's so regularly, like yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm lying. Not every day. <laughs> <laughs> every month, okay. at least every month. Yeah, 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 if yeah, not yeah. No, for sure. But but it, I mean, um, goddamn, three G, so expensive. You know. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you want to FaceTime or whatever. But um, yeah, essentially. This this whole thing, um, it changed you. It affected you. It affected me in in a big way, and it was kind of me just accepting whatever the hell life is throwing at me, and and just being like, all right, okay, no control, just let it happen, and try to make the best of it. 
let's say she, let's tell everyone she's okay, right? She's oh yeah, well. she kicked the shit out of cancer's ass. That's good to hear. Yeah. So shout out to Mama Sherowy. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, because that video that I watched today was uh, it's a it's not a joyful video and it's very nostalgic you're there's a lot of clips from you know the past of the past shows of the band um there's a lot of you out there's a lot of alcohol there's a lot of vomiting there's a lot of a uh, lot of vomiting oh there's, there's one vomit scene yeah, i'm exaggerating well that's unusual um but it's For, obviously ah uh, yeah yeah what yeah. it's not unusual well no it is a hundred percent unusual you would never see this being put out by any local independent or or any artist period which is this super ultra realism realistic kind of self-deprecating yeah image you know everyone else is that's out there is constantly you know i'm the shit man i'm like i'm killing it in life and life is great and i'm sitting on a fancy car and i want beautiful women and you know and that's just not really realistic i mean i shot that in my apartment pedro's temizian an amazing 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 uh director who's worked with some of the greatest local talents in the city and abroad He's just very, very cool. He he would never. He has a, a totally different approach towards coming up with a creative idea and and the whole process. And he's definitely someone who can make something like, especially in film, it's difficult to make something look really good on a band indie band budget. Okay, like he's used to working with big multinational brands and stuff like that, making super super videos, right? But he's still able to come up with these really, really creative and fascinating clips. Yeah, because that video is memorable. And it would be so easy to do like what you said, to just do like show you guys playing, you know, or I mean, there's so much um, kind of cliche in the world of like music videos. There's so many cliches in some ways. You don't think so? Yeah, no, definitely there are. I, I, I mean, I still feel like it's kind of cliche, like in the whole like, oh, they're drinking and they're drunk. Yeah, but the way that that you're drinking in the video is so real. It's well, like I was, and it looks real. It well, looks it like someone was filming you when you were out with your friends. One hundred percent. That was. Yeah. It's funny though because combining that kind of party feeling, which is what you're talking about, yeah, with the nostalgia of showing the the stuff from the past, it kind of feels sad and dark yep. and and it feels like there's definitely it's coming from a dark place and yeah. do you think that this is what um is this something that that you think as an artist drives you to create music having this sense of this um kind of heartbreak is one way to put it of like oh yeah disappointment oh yeah i feel like i'm in perpetual breakup And that kind of really sums up, because I mean, a lot of the stuff that I talk about or sing about is heartbreak. It is, um, you know, the heartbreak of being away from home. That's strange places. And the ultimate heartbreak of, you know, living like there's no tomorrow, which is Sailor's Delight. I mean, we were really, you know, beating ourselves up, drinking ourselves to death, so to speak. There was also this whole concept, because don't forget, 2010, 
2011, what was the big fear in 2012? Do you remember? No. Do you know anything about the Mayan calendar? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the end of the world. The end of the fucking world. Yeah. yeah. So that was a really fascinating kind of theme to me, this idea that life as we know it could end. And what would you do knowing this information? How would you behave? So the idea was like, we're going to go guns a-blazing, you know, the apocalypse is coming down. Well, we're going to drink, live, love, and go down swinging. That was the, the laugh in the face of the apocalypse. And I feel like Lebanese and, and a lot of Arabs as a whole, Palestinians and any, any disenfranchised people, that's kind of the way they roll, is they're like, fuck it. It's going down or it's not, man. It's going down or not. Yeah, so, except with a different accent. Right. They're not from Alabama. No. It's going fucking down, man. We're going to take this here and stand up deep. Yeah. Yeah. To my... Totally true. And this kind of translates to that. And it translates also to, to maybe, which brings me to the fact that you're Canadian. You came here in 2006. You have heartbreak about Canada, but you're still here. So why oh, are man. you still here? Because Lebanon is a sexy mistress. It is a domestically violent relationship where the sex is too good to leave. You ever been in one of those where it's like, oh man, he beats me up all the time. No, but but I really could see how you. I could see how how Lebanon kind of uh, you could use that as a, an right? analogy. Yeah, Lebanon's so sexy, but yet why are you so crazy, Lebanon? Yeah, yeah. Lebanon's that that girlfriend or boyfriend who's texting you at like four in the morning, being like, sure, yalla. Does that happen to you? All the time. Wow. The reason why I get texts at four in the morning is because my girlfriend lives in a uh, different time zone. <laughs> a different time zone. Yeah. That's good. Right, right, right. I know that you had a lot more to tell us about you. You have so I'm sure you have a million stories from your tours, um, from your nights out in Jamezi, oh uh, living it up before the end of the world. So um, let's stay in touch. And uh, and uh, maybe you'll get to come on another time. Uh, next time you have uh, something coming up, we'd love to hear about it. Sure. Thank you so very much for having me. Um, All right. What are you going to play for so us? I'm going to play a somewhat happy, somewhat bitter, bittersweet song, so to speak. Okay. okay. Uh, it's our first track off of the record titled Summertime Oblivion. now 
Never simmer like they used to. 